Well, as um, Brother Kent um, opened us up uh, and, and to worship so well, um, and as we heard the reading, um, we are in the season of Advent, in a season of preparation. And as we um, uh, break into the Advent season this morning, uh, we are going to spend some time over the next four weeks through Advent um, looking at uh, words from the great prophets of the Old Testament who, as was alluded to, who like us are waiting for God, waiting for His arrival, waiting for His presence to be felt. The Old Testament prophets, they were told about the day when Christ would come, when the Messiah would arrive. But until that day, they waited, and they waited for a long season of time. And waiting is not something that we do very well. It's proven by our consumer culture. We can't really even wait for Thanksgiving to be over before we are into the Christmas season of shopping. Um, many on Thursday night. Anybody else get some Black Friday deals on Thursday? It just, and that, that's, that's the way of the culture, and, 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 and I'm not rebuking anyone for getting a good deal on a TV this morning, um, but it just goes to show the reality that we have a hard time waiting. And, and even the idea of looking forward to something is sometimes lost on us because we don't have to look forward to anything. We have prime. It will arrive today. So we don't even look forward. It just, we just ask for it. We get on our app. And it arrives within six hours at our home. I was amazed just a few weeks ago. I was opened up into the world of Whole Foods and two-hour delivery. And it, it can transform your life. I'm just going to tell you that you can just think of a dinner that you'd like to make. You can order all the ingredients. They're going to, because it's Whole Foods, no matter what you order, chocolate or otherwise, it's going to be healthy because it's Whole Foods. And, and so it'll get delivered to your house. And then you can make all fresh just right there. I, I had not understood that that was available to us up here in the great metropolis of Melissa, but I found that out a couple weeks ago. We don't wait. We struggle to wait. And then even in the midst of this holiday season over Thanksgiving, um, I began to think about just the coming Christmas season. Black Friday, lights going up. Tree farms obviously popping up all over along the roadside. And I saw an ad, and in the ad it depicted the small town. You can kind of just imagine. I don't even remember who the ad was for. I already advertised one organization. I'm not going to do that anymore. They didn't pay me. But I saw this ad, and it was this sort of this Norman Rockwell-esque kind of city town. You've got the parade going through, and um, you've got Santa and Mrs. Claus as the marshals riding the old Corvette. The old-timey snowman, you know, that snowman that looks different than our snowman do today. The glass window with the kids peering in because all the toys used to be displayed that they would look forward to. I'm sure you can picture it. And that simplicity, kind of the, that old school, I guess, the, the thing that has become very hip in our day to do what looks old, but it's not really old. Kind of the simple, it just it elicits an emotional response in us, doesn't it? That image, there's a reason that advertisers use it. But the image of that simple and that time that was once this kind of far away, it causes us to, to desire. It, it has this emotional response. We long for something different. 
And why do, why do we look at that image? And why do we see those pictures? And even as we go about our days of creating memories in our family traditions, why do those types of things, why do they elicit such an emotional response in us? I think it's because we all long for something. And this season perhaps brings to bear some of those, those deepest emotions that, that remind us of that longing. But even beyond the Christmas season, we long for something better. And so what we do because of our longing, because of our desire for something that just is a little better, a little different than the life that we are currently in, we'll do anything to try and create these moments. These moments which we hope will turn into memories or special times. All year round, if you just consider, look back on the past year and think about all the effort that you put in to try and create these moments that would somehow just satisfy. And most of the time, if you're like me, they satisfy if very briefly for a moment, but very often they don't satisfy at all. But I want us to get to the heart of why. Why do we long for that? Why do we try and do all that we can to create these picturesque moments? Sometimes in in, in our culture we can look and we can think that social media is the plague. And in some senses it is because we have now figured out a way to capture those picturesque moments in pictures and then perhaps be rewarded through the number of kind of accolades that we get on that picturesque moment of whether it was valuable enough. But really, even the social media question or plague or however it could be described, that just tells us that there is a symptom. There's something deeper there that causes us to want to now not just create these picturesque moments, but create them and then capture them and then share them and hope that perhaps that might bring something to the world that would bring us joy It would give us some sort of hope that we can hang on to. I suggest that the reason that we do this is that we all know something that we don't very often want to articulate and we have a hard time putting into words. We know that things are not as they should be. We know in the deepest parts of our souls that there is something wrong. And when I say that we know this, I don't just mean the Christian church. I mean all people, atheists and Christians and otherwise, all alike realize there's something broken. There is something that is not right. And we know it in our souls, and so we try and try and try again to come up with some way to make it look right, to make it feel right, just If we could just feel right, feel unbroken for one moment, we think that would satisfy. But here's the reality, friends. We can't make it right. We have no ability to do that. It's not possible for us to make it right. And this is why we celebrate Advent. Because we know we need something greater And we need to remind our hearts of that deep need. So in this Advent season, I want to encourage you to do less and to long for more. Do less of the stuff. 
I'm not saying to cancel all your traditions or stop doing things, but at a more emotional level, do less and long for more over these next four weeks. Don't try and just add in as much to these next four weeks as we prepare for Christmas as you possibly can. Keep it simpler. Keep your heart looking forward to something. Sit still and be desperate for something. Need something. Need someone and be desperate for him to show up. And as we sit for four weeks potentially as the body of Christ, and we sit in desperation in a need for something, our hearts will be taught. And we will learn that the only thing that will ever fix the ache that we feel in our souls is Jesus. We will be reminded, we will be taught, we will be corrected, we will whatever the word might be, but we will end this season of Advent and arrive on Christmas Day with a sincere and deep felt understanding of our need for Jesus. That is what this message, the prophet Isaiah shared with us from Isaiah 64 that Grayson read during our Advent reading. That's his message. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, longed for the presence of God, a presence that would be initiated with the Messiah's first coming and completed upon his second coming. And like Isaiah, we are a people who are caught in the middle waiting Isaiah was before, but he was waiting. We now have seen and know of the arrival of the Messiah. We know of the future that we have because of him. All of those things are true for us, but we still sit and we wait. And we should long for that presence. We feel this need for something. And we should celebrate that. We should acknowledge it and we should sit in it because we need God's presence more than ever. Look at Isaiah 64 with me. If you don't have a Bible, the text will be behind me on the screen once again, but also there is a Bible under the first seat of every row on the kind of inner aisles there. You can grab a Bible and open it to Isaiah 64, kind of right in the middle of your Bible if you are looking for that. If you scroll, you just kind of do this. Isaiah 64, verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When, did, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. Notice that Isaiah uses the word presence three times just in those first three verses. He is a desiring God's presence. And notice what happens when God is present. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens. By the way, that word rend means to tear, that God would tear open the heavens 
Tear open the heavens and allow his presence to come down. And of course, we know that God is everywhere. He is not confined just to one location. And so this is sort of an illustrative language to just kind of give us a picture of what it would feel like if we felt God's presence because he is here. He's in our midst today and he is everywhere. And so we know that, but Isaiah is pleading for God to come down and let his presence be felt. Let it be known. And when God tears, open the, uh, tears opens the heavens and he comes down, look what happens in the presence of God. The mountains quake. Brush is consumed by fire. That fire causes water to boil. Adversaries of God, the enemies of God, become worshipers of God. The nations tremble at his presence. The world as we know it is changed by God's presence. And that's why when we say that we are in this season of waiting and longing, we are longing for the presence of God. We want to see his presence and we want to feel that presence. That's why Isaiah even uses that word. Oh, that you would. Oh, that you would. I just want you to just think for a moment on the word oh. I could have, although I didn't. We could just do a sermon on O. Oh. Have you ever heard a sermon on one word? Oh, that you would. Isaiah is desperate for God. What are you desperate for this morning? Are you desperate for God to move? Have you prayed? for God's presence and his kingdom with this kind of passion? When is the last time? I don't expect you probably have vocalized the word O other than with something following it that probably shouldn't be spoken. (laughs) But if you have said, have you said O in a way that just elicits the idea of passion? Oh, God. One of our elders, Brother Pat, when he prays very often, he prays with that kind of hope. Oh, God, that you would do something. But when's the last time in your heart, again, maybe not vocalized, but just in the depth of your heart, in in a moment of prayer, have you had a passion and a desire for God that it caused your mind to think along the lines of like, oh, God, I'm pleading I am desperate for you to do something. When we pray, we pray mostly for our needs, right? The things that we can think of. Those things that are front in line to us are what's right in front of us. Our families, our needs. And of course, the Bible is clear that we should pray for our needs. It's not wrong to ask God to help you with those things that you need. To help you with the troubles that you have. But God tells us that we should open our hearts to him and that our desires should be aligned with his desires. When is the last time that we prayed for God's presence to be felt in this church, in this city, in a way that it shook the mountains, that the the brush was turned to fire? And I'm not talking about a natural disaster. I'm talking about God's presence being felt so powerfully that we could physically kind of express it. That's what Isaiah is saying here. A desire for God to move and a desire for his presence to be felt. I don't think we pray like that. 
because we've convinced ourselves that we can create again enough to satisfy our longings. And we are all too often satisfied, again, just for a moment, with those simple little things that fade to dust. We're satisfied for an evening or perhaps a weekend. And then we remember, oh, life is still a mess because we're not desperate for God. The arrival of Christ and the kingdom of God is where permanent and lasting joy is found. Permanent and lasting joy that does not just last for an evening or last for a weekend or even a week or a season of time, but is everlasting. And that is why we, the people of God, like Isaiah, should say, Oh God, would you rend, would you tear open the heavens and would you allow your presence to be felt today in my heart, in my family's heart, in this church's heart, in this city? Would you allow your presence to be known? Because the very best thing for you and for me and for our families and for this church and for our city is not these momentary moments of joy and happiness that we can create by sort of manufacturing something. That is only accomplished through the presence of God. What we desire, the satisfaction that we long for, only comes when we feel and experience God's presence. Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Isaiah opens up this longing for God to come back. Actually, up in chapter 63, we're not going to spend some time there, but in verses 15 and 16, he talks about longing for the love of God. And it's that love that causes him to have a desire for his presence to be made known. Just think, it was love that brought Jesus down to dwell with us. And so Isaiah describes God's love in verse 15, and he says, God, how long will you hold back your love from us? How long do we have to wait for it? And so he's asking God to stop holding back. And then here in 64, he's now asking not just for his love, but he wants his presence to be felt without holding anything back. And so our prayer should echo that of Isaiah. Our prayer should not begin with our desires and needs. Again, yes, we can ask for those things, but just look at the prayer that the Lord modeled for us. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Let your presence come down. And then we'll get to our daily bread in a moment. But let your presence be known. Because if your presence is here, if your kingdom would come, then all of the needs are satisfied. Think about this just in the rule as we kind of think about kings and kingdoms. And as Americans, that's sort of foreign to us. But if a good king is put on the throne, a good king that provides for his people, a good king that rules fairly, a good king that is just, a good king that treats people with honor even though he is above them because he is king. Notice all of the needs and the simple things, the daily activities, they don't have to worry about those things anymore because there's a good king on the throne who is ruling. And that good kingdom takes care of all of those things. When we desire and look forward to the presence of God and we ask for his kingdom to come in our city, in our church, in our families, in our personal lives, all of the needs are met because we reside in the kingdom of God with a good king on the throne who takes care of it all. We need his presence, his permanent, everlasting, joyous presence, because that is the only thing that sustains 
when all of the rest of the world as we encounter it day by day falls to pieces. Yesterday I was with our brothers and sisters, the Barnett family, as they said goodbye to their mom, reminding me of a day when I said goodbye to my mom. And so many of you I know in this room have had to say goodbye to loved ones just this year. And our heart breaks over that loss. But what is the firm ground that we stand on? That we know the presence of God that causes the mountains to quake, the brush to be turned to fire, that causes water to boil. And he is on his throne and he is a good king. We have his presence with us. It's that presence that gives us peace in those days of ultimate and complete breakdown and grief and trial. We need God's presence. Read, I'm going to read a quote from Jonathan Edwards. And he spoke of a day in his life when he saw the presence of God in his community. He saw what it looked like happening in his church. And it gives us a picture of what we should long for as we long for the presence of God. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It never was so full of love nor of joy, and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought unto them, parents rejoicing over their children as newborn, and husbands over their wives and wives over their husbands. Our public assemblies were then beautiful. The assembly in general was from time to time in tears while the word was preached, some weeping with sorrow and distress, others with joy and love, others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. That's what he said what it looked like when he could see tangibly and feel the presence of God. The mountains were quaking as souls recognized their need for a Savior. The brush was turned to fire as souls were attuned to the need of their lost neighbors who without God would be forever apart from Him. They were overjoyed when salvation came to those who were lost. When the Word of God was read over them, they weeped with tears hearing Almighty God, the Sovereign over the world, speak to them. Have we experienced that kind of presence? Have you ever experienced that? I'll attest that I don't think I have. I have seen God move in seasons and times, but that kind of lasting presence is what I long for. For my life, for my family, for this church, that we would be that type of people who see God and seek God's presence. You know, God is powerfully at work in this world. I read regular accounts from our brothers and sisters in Middle Eastern and Asian countries where there is mass revival breaking out because of their desperate need and their desire for God to move. The people for a long time have been desperate for God to move and he is now answering their prayers and he is making his presence known. Sadly, the American church is growing more and more insignificant. And let's be honest, we don't really care that much because we aren't desperate. 
We have so little urgency or desperation or burden. We aren't desperate for God's presence. So what are we to do? In the words of Pastor Ray Ortland, he said this, we must choose to accept the inconvenient, disturbing, question-provoking, ego-humbling, prayer-stimulating, church-changing, prophetic burden that the glory of God would come down upon us today. Let's embrace the longing. Let's live with it. Let's pray with it. Let's die with it on our hearts. And as we pray, let's stay open to God. In essence, what he says there is that we must be a people who are desperate for God and so desperate for God that we would allow our lives to be wrecked in order that our hearts might be attuned to what God desires. And that we would lay down all of those things that we try and create, ultimately those idols that tempt us and cause us and have caused us to fall asleep, to become so complacent. And look what God does when he moves. In in verse 3 of 64, Isaiah says, talking about when he saw God move, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. God's ability to do what he intends to do, that's not in question. We're not lacking the presence of God We're not missing that presence because God is not able to deliver upon that promise. It's because we aren't desperate for it. And when we are desperate, when we become desperate for it, he tells us that God does and shows up and reveals his presence to us in the most unexpected ways, in ways that will amaze us. And notice what he says. He's looking backward when you did these things. Verse 4, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. He's saying, look back on what God has done. Isaiah, the prophet, was looking backwards at what God had done and was giving, been giving a vision of what God would do in the future. We can look back and we can see all that God has done. The whole world, very much like today at one point in history, covered in darkness, seemingly without hope. What does God do? He sends a Savior into the darkness to be born where? In a barn. Unexpected. But within God's power to deliver exactly what He intends to do, His presence comes. The whole world condemned by sinfulness with a need to be reconciled to a holy God. How could God make that happen? He sends His Son, the Savior of the world, God Himself, to lay down His life on a cross. Who would have ever said that God, the reason that so many missed Jesus as the Messiah is because they could not believe that God would act in that way. He shocks us. Then, once again, the world seemed without hope. God had laid down His life The supposed Messiah was dead in the grave for three days. And God shocks us with the most amazing miracle of all. He takes up his life again. 
He ascends to the right hand of God the Father, and he sends his spirit down so that his gospel can go out and be spread to all the world, and the entire world is turned upside down with his message. God is not lacking in power or ability. He does, and he moves, as Isaiah says, in ways that will shock us. He does the unexpected. What unexpected thing are you desperate for God to move so that it could happen in your life? We should look forward, we should be desperate for God to redeem, to restore, to make whole. Brothers and sisters, we can't have a vision for God that is too big. We can't have a need and a desperation for God to move in our midst that outdoes what God is able to do. Yes, we can ask for the wrong things, and we, I, so often do. But when our hearts are aligned with His as His Word promises us, we can't ask for something that's bigger than Him. Just as we learned last week in Ephesians from chapter 3, that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly by just revealing his love to us, the fact that we can comprehend his love, and it makes some sense to our finite minds, is beyond miraculous. And he's done that. And as Isaiah says, from old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you. That's what he's saying in verse 4. He can do it all if we would be desperate for him to move. In verses 6 and 7, Isaiah turns to lament, and he laments his own sinfulness. In, in, a, in response to his considering and asking for God's presence, he realizes that he is unclean, that he's not worthy of God's presence, that he, there's nothing in his own heart that he could say he deserves it. And he gives these illustrations, and he says that he's like the one who is unclean, or like the one who is filthy. At best, he's a filthy rag. He's like a brittle leaf that was once full of life and now crumbles. You ever held a leaf, and it just crumbles in his hands and will be carried off by the wind. Isaiah shares this, and our problem, it just reminds us that our problem is not external. The reason that we are lacking in, 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 in experiencing and feeling God's presence is not because of all of those outside circumstances, again, that we try and orchestrate and turn the dials on to create this perfect little picture. No, this, the problem is within. It's internal. It's the fact that we are sinners, and we need God's presence. And so then he turns again in verse 8 and 9. And after expounding upon his desperation for God's presence, he shares his desperation for the touch of God. But now, verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. We pray and we remember our uncleanness, verse 6, our, our temporary nature, that we will one day, these bodies will be turned to dust, and we say, God, you are the potter. We are the clay. We desire for you to touch our lives. Would you make your presence known so that we feel your hands shaping, molding us into who we are to be? And guess what happens when God's hands are on your lives? I take you back to the quote from my brother Ray. Things get uncomfortable. Things get a little bit kind of, I like to use a word, discombobulated. 
I don't know where I came up with that, but I've said that for a long time. My kids think it's a weird word. The world gets shaky because God's hands are on us, though, and our, we feel his presence, and we're led into things. We begin to cry when we hear about our neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Would that shock you if your heart was that in tune with a need for the presence of God? When you see the brokenness and the, all of the problems in the world, you, become, you, you, you find yourself on your knees asking God to move because his hands are upon you. We are desperate for his presence. We are desperate for his touch. We need to remember that he is the potter and we are the clay. He is the one who creates, brings life, restores, redeems. We are in his hands. And then finally, Isaiah, as we close this text, in verse 10 and 12, he describes this condition of the city that he's in. He describes the condition of God's people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. That's not just describing an ancient city, friends. That's describing the souls and the hearts of the people. Many of whom are our neighbors. Our loved ones our family members, our friends, lives that are in ruins, desperate for God to restore, to put his hands upon it and make new. And what does Isaiah close with? What he began with in 63 verse 15. God, don't hold back. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? He's pleading with God. Lord, don't hold back your presence any longer. And so as we begin this Advent over the next month, I implore us together to be desperate for God to move and to plead with God and ask Him, Lord, do not hold back your presence. Let go of the things and set your heart upon Him and His presence with you and trust that He is the potter and that we are the clay and He will shape us perfectly as He brings His kingdom. And as we sit in that longing and that desperation, when we arrive at Christmas and then we move forward to Easter, those days of celebration become all the more sweeter because we have been waiting for something. We've been longing for something. Why is Christmas morning sometimes so blah? Because you opened all the presents before you ever got there. You never longed or waited for anything. Sorry, kids, just ruined Christmas Eve for you. But we should long. We should wait. And it's right that as a church, we spend this month longing for the presence of God. Let's pray. And then let's sing with anticipation, longing for that. Lord Jesus, would you help us? We desire to get this right this season. 
And so we need your spirit to guard us against or protect us, in a sense, from ourselves. And I pray that we would listen to the words of the great prophet and that like him, we would long for your presence, God, that we would be a people who are desperate for your kingdom to come. You have promised us, Jesus, that you will come again. And just as Isaiah knew that the Messiah would one day come, we know the Messiah, Lord Jesus, you will come again. But until then, we are going to plead for you to come. We are going to long for your presence with us. We're going to ask for your Holy Spirit to move in our midst so that we can feel it. So that mountains could be torn down, those mountains of sin and shame and brokenness. So lostness like fire, could, like a brush caught on fire, could just be burned away. We desire for your kingdom to come. So in this moment, as our worship team begins to sing, we just sit in your presence and ask for you to come. We desire you, Lord. Not the things of this world that won't ever satisfy for more than a moment. We desire you. Help us to sit in that longing. Help us to be desperate. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.